happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and Canada and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 274 on November 9th, 2022. My name is Jason Neifer, and I'm the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, and we seem to have lost Dr. Fryer, located on the fabulous University of Montana campus in beautiful University of Montana in Western Montana. But tonight, I am joining you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, where I am taking my first international vacation uh, since uh, the COVID time started. So uh, uh, late last week, I masked up with my beautiful wife. Uh, we hopped on a couple of airplanes. We had to kind of do trains, planes, and automobiles to get here because of late flights. But we finally arrived here, and we've been here for the last week in beautiful Montreal, a city that uh, is beautiful in November. And I'd love to come back here when it's not uh, cold in wintertime because I'm sure it's that much more beautiful. But joining me tonight, uh, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Well, Jason, I am well. I'm a little uh, cable challenged, but I hopefully am, am being heard. And I will assure everyone that I will do my best to try and improve the audio and, um, well, whatever, the audio quality. I, we're, at least our video is looking fancy tonight. So I am not coming to you for my aspirational North Carolina cabin. It's just the house. But we have <clears throat> switched around because... Uh, we got a new couch on Facebook Marketplace. I didn't do any measuring before getting it, and it would not go in the previous office. So I am in what was our daughter's bedroom, and we do not yet have any carpet in this room. So it is probably a bit, uh, let's just say, not ideal as far as audio goes. But I'm hoping it will be passable to um, to do tonight. And uh, my iPhone's about to die, so. Full disclosure, I've got to text my child to say, hey, will you bring me a charger? Otherwise, I'm going to be looking at another camera. But we're not here to probably talk about cable blues. Uh, you have put, sir, a absolute record-breaking number of Google articles in tonight. <laughs> so for people that may be the, the first-time listeners to the show, what are we up to tonight? Well, um, we're going to take some articles that we have spotted on the internets over the past couple of weeks and try to provide some uh, some insight, uh, hopefully to help uh, teachers, educators, IT directors, school administrators, and other educational types maybe make sense of the fast evolving world. Um, and tonight we have several topics for your consideration, including um, we're going to try to talk about Twitter without getting stuck in the muck. Uh, which is uh, uh, somewhat challenging to do. Uh, we also have some tech correction news, Apple news, uh, Google news, which is uh, starting to turn into um, a, a large number of, of, of links of interesting things going on at the Googles. Uh, Microsoft, environmental news, miscellaneous news, uh, some additional tech correction news. It looks like we had that in multiple places. And then some IoT and connectivity news. And we'll end tonight with our so-called geeks of the weeks. So... Dr. Fryer, is there a certain place you'd like to start us out tonight? I noticed that you set us up with several fresh links to deal with. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, when we miss a week or two, it, it really does become a fairly overwhelming link list. Um, let's start out with one that I actually put in the miscellaneous column. Uh, this is a, from The Verge on Halloween, October the 31st. This is a really fascinating article. Why the browser company's Darren Fisher thinks it's time to reinvent the browser. Um, excellent. Thank you. It is. I've been saved. Uh, so web browsers, 
as we've talked about on the show, are are now pretty much chrome and chromium um, focused. Um, oh shoot, this isn't going to work. Um, because um, Microsoft used to have a separate engine that they were developing for Internet Explorer and then the Edge browser. Um, Apple used to use uh, Gecko, I think, or something. Or maybe it was their own thing. There was another one called Gecko. Anyway, there's been different engines. But now Edge is based off of Chromium. So oh, so maybe it's just is it, it's just Safari and Chrome then. Uh, is that right? <laughs> I, I, I should know this. I, I think Safari is, is, a, is a different core. Yeah, it's based, um, based on WebKit and... Yes. So there's there's Firefox, there's Chrome. Well, no, is Firefox based on Google now? No, it's not. It's yeah, maybe it, it is still different based based on Gecko. I guess the yeah. the big thing I know is that Microsoft's you know stopped trying to develop its own yeah. and is Chromium based. Dan Fisher is somebody who goes all the way back to the Netscape days. Um, he had been, uh, I think, developing for Mozilla. Um, then, um, he went to Google. He was 16 years there at Chrome and, and Chrome OS. And then he left for a company called Neva and then, um, left Neva to join this company called the browser company. And he's working on Arc, which the article describes as quote, one of the hottest new browsers on the market. We spend so much of our time in the web browser. Um, you know, it, it talks about the, the hoopla that Apple caused just in Safari on the on iOS when it moved the URL bar down to the bottom, which I've gotten used to now, and it's great. It, and it is. It's so much closer to your thumb, and it just makes a lot of sense. But, you know, people really push back whenever you have something that people are, are very familiar with. And so um, the article talks about um, this, you know, challenge of basically trying to, to redesign the the browser from scratch uh thinking about you know privacy um thinking about you know functionality um and you know all the different platforms and things like that 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 have to be supported and so um you know google and chrome's market share is is really built off of 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 harvesting our data um and it's you know built on the the attention economy and so it's a big challenge to think about, you know, redesigning a, a browser, but I had never heard of Arc before. And it, you know, if there's anybody that has some, if there's a person who has a lot of credibility and experience in web browsers, it's somebody like this that goes back to Netscape, Netscape days. You know, he, he hasn't worked for Apple for Safari, but he's hit all the other, well, I guess not Microsoft either. But anyway, with all of his extensive experience with Mozilla and, and Google, lots and lots of experience and, and expertise. And so, um, I have I have not tried Arc, uh, but uh, this was my my first introduction to it, and you can check it out by just going to arc.net, um, and uh, it's uh, you know a, an an attempt to try and try and reinvent the browsing experience. So, yeah, totally. Well, and I hadn't heard of Arc either, um, but uh, I just signed up for a preview and it looks like if I have a university student email address, uh, I might be able to get a little sooner. But I'm glad there's someone working in the space. I will say that, I mean, I, I'm just looking at my, my browsers right now. I have, um, I'm actually working on a fresh install of uh, Mac OS on my, my M1 MacBook Air. And um, 
I'm just looking and I currently have five browsers installed, Chrome, Firefox. I have DuckDuckGo's privacy browser, which is what I do most of my just kind of regular surfing on because it's, it's, it's anonymous and private and pretty stable. Microsoft Edge, uh, like you mentioned, based on Chromium and then Safari, which is based on WebKit. And what I would say is that, um, you know, I part of my problem is that I have a hard time moving away from Chrome because of, in my perception, how much better it is than the other browsers, uh, in, in part because I would set up just the way I want it with all the plugins I want it to have. Um, Safari is supposed to be a dominant browser on the Apple platform, but to be frank about it, it doesn't have all the plugins that I use on a regular basis. And without those plugins, I lose out on key functionality of my workflow. So I'm hoping, I just, I, again, I'll, I'll sign up for Arc and um, you know, I'd be interested in a, in a better browser. Um, but the bottom line is, is that, that for those that are advanced users, uh, like Dr. Fryer and, and myself, you know, there are certain minimums it's going to have to have, uh, for, for, you know, power users to move and basic users aren't going to move until power users move. That's the, that's the bottom line. So I'm excited that, that someone else is in the space and it looks like with his extensive background, he knows a lot about what it takes to make a good browser. Interestingly, if you use a school email, you can get almost instantaneous uh, access within 10 minutes. So that's that's interesting, too, that they're really focusing on on schools. And they say they're currently in over 400 schools across 100 countries. So anyway, maybe we'll have a report here in another week or so what the ARC browser is like. Awesome. All right. Where to well, next, sir? Yeah, let's uh, let's 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 dive into this Twitter stuff and and mostly because I, I I've, I'd love to have a conversation with you tonight, Wes, about alternatives to Twitter and whether it's people are are, are going to jump or not. So, um, uh, we've talked about this a couple of times on the show, and if you're listening to this podcast, I am almost certain you know of the um uh you know of the basics. the The bottom line is is that um uh, Elon Musk bid for Twitter. He then pulled his bid. He was then sued by the Twitter board and a court was about to force him to buy it. And he decided to uh, uh, pay on his original price. And uh, uh, last week he uh, kind of stumbled into the Twitter offices as the new CEO. He immediately fired most of the, the top brass at Twitter, brought in his own people from uh, his other companies and then has 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 fired um half two-thirds it's the number kind of jumps around depending on which article you're in but got you're rid of a lot of staff there and in some cases whole departments were completely eliminated um and just some examples that are not per se from these articles but i for example the the leader of the accessibility department at at um uh, Twitter, which if you are someone in any sort of e-learning uh, world knows that accessibility is, is kind of a big deal and it also doesn't happen on its own. You need thought and leadership to, to really uh, double down on that, especially if you're developing platforms. That team was eliminated. I know that um, uh, ERPs, Employee Resource Programs, uh, which uh, uh, many large Fortune 500 companies have, uh, they're for things like um, uh, LGBTQ communities or different ethnicities. Uh, a lot of them were eliminated as part of, of, of the, the, the process, but also a lot of people that advocated some of, of Twitter's, um, uh, you know, feature sets over the years have, have been eliminated as well. 
And then I, I don't really know how the story has necessarily played out, but uh, the verified process, which is something that has always been kind of cloaked in mystery, uh, verified is when Twitter does something extra uh, to find out it's you and then puts a blue check mark next to uh, your name. And the idea behind this is is that's, that because of the ability to create an account pretty easily on there, there have been lots of parody accounts in the time of Twitter. I've been part of one or two of them themselves. Uh, both of them were private efforts that were both very successful and very funny, but I will not disclose, disclose my my secret identities. But um, they've been a part of, of, of humor that I've engaged in um, over the last couple of, of years as well. Um, but, uh, that process has been considered, uh, uh, by many people to be a little, um, uh, uh, non-transparent, uh, even though most political candidates, um, uh, can get easily verified. Um, and I've, I've applied for verification, but I don't meet one of the standard categories, uh, for verification. You're not verified, are you, Wes? I am not, and I've applied as well. So yeah. not on, not on Twitter, not on YouTube. Yeah. But so, it's pay to play now. So I guess I can be. Yeah. So, well, and then what's happened is that, um, then, uh, Elon Musk, uh, the new CEO said, well, um, you know, we're going to move, we're going to move verification to a pay for service. Um, but, uh, you're going to have to pay $20 for a month. And then people complained about that. And so he's now saying it's $8 a month. It was up for 24 hours. And has been taken down already because there were several accounts, uh, including some prominent politicians. For example, uh, the governor of the state of Montana, Governor Greg Gianforte, who um, uh, uh, is is on Twitter, uh, relatively active on Twitter. He and his communication staff are active on Twitter. A fake Gianforte account went up yesterday uh, as and paid the eight dollars to get verified. And sure enough, check. Um, there was a check on there, and I believe his regular account was also verified. And so his, the, the fake account uh, 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 called out the regular account saying no impersonators, and um, it was a big mess. So the account has been subsequently – the fake account has been somewhat taken down. But it kind of highlights that the pain of $8 a month doesn't really fix the verification problem. And then the other thing that's happened in the last 72 hours was that a bunch of celebrities uh, late in the weekend changed their name to Elon Musk, or not their username or their, their handle, but their, their name name, um, and co- sometimes copied some things from his profile. And he took down several of those accounts. One of them was from uh, comedian Kathy Griffin, uh, Griffith, excuse me, who then... After she was eliminated, uh, uh, logged on on her uh, late mother's account to let people know what had happened, and then that account got banned too. So it's been a big mess the, the last couple of days. Uh, do you have any insights or thoughts? I mean, I, I I have some bigger questions probably for a minute, but any initial reaction to this mess, Dr. Fryer? Uh, um, so I'll share an article. I'd actually put this one down, I guess, under tech correction which this is a fantastic article from Motherboard. It's from November 6th called Social Media is Dead. Um, and um, the the main takeaway that I have for here, they're saying that, you know, before before Elon, you know, social media with, you know, Zuckerberg and everything was just basically a dumpster fire and, and it was in having all these troubles. I live in a different Twitter. I live 
in in and it's not completely different but it's 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 a it's largely separated from the kind of thing that's described in this article where you know if you just scroll through all you're just going to see is is a bunch of uh you know celebrities and and posers uh and things that are algorithmically generated uh which will cause you to doom scroll and just waste your life away and basically be worthless and you know that is absolutely not not the twitter that i live in we talked maybe a month or so ago about how you can turn the algorithm off. And so you can actually see latest tweets. I use Twitter lists almost exclusively. I sometimes look at my feed, but I am looking at lists every day, you know, multiple times in Flipboard. And so Twitter is an essential part of my communication dashboard. Um, I do not really find myself caught up in you know, so much of the drama um, that that is happening. I think it's just really unfortunate. It seemed a bit surreal right before the election for all this to happen, right before our midterm elections in the United States. And, um, you know, based on the limited amount of, uh, of news I've taken in since last night, um, it doesn't seem like, you know, hey, the election got thrown or something really, you know, dramatic happened uh, election wise. I think that Elon Musk really, really likes attention. Uh, he oftentimes, just like when he, you know, retweeted uh, a, a, a conspiracy theory about Nancy Pelosi's husband's attack, and then that was deleted. He's really not interested in, you know, verified information, the huge, I think, responsibility that comes with maintaining and owning a platform uh, like Twitter, which is which is utilized by millions of people around the world and is 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 an important part of our ecosystem. I do think it has an outsized uh, amount of attention, but it's just lamentable, I guess. And so uh, you mentioned, you know, alternatives. I set up a Mastodon account a number of years ago. I think of all the, uh, the different websites that I've looked at and I've tried like email, Mastodon is federated, so that means it can interoperate with different folks running different kinds of servers. It's not a perfect Twitter clone, but it's pretty good. And I guess my other thought is, man, I wish RSS readers would come back and, and Google Reader would come back. I still have Feedly, and, and I honestly have turned to that a little bit. I, I haven't been just really diving back into Mastodon, and I'm not... Mastodon, um, you know, has a variety of different clients that you can, that you can utilize in, in anyway, it's, it's okay. But the thing is so many people are on Twitter, right? And that's the same thing about Facebook. And so one of the biggest benefits of the whole environment is being able to, uh, stumble upon serendipitously encounter links and ideas and resources that you just wouldn't have otherwise because there are people that are pretty smart and are generous with their sharing and they're using the platform. So I think that a lot of people and a lot of the mainstream media articles we're reading about this perhaps live in a different Twitter than some of us do in, in the educational uh, Twitterverse. Uh, but I think it is a perilous situation. Obviously, you know, Elon is a businessman and, uh, fancies himself and, and, you know, he's, he's successful. It fancies himself as, as a, a mastermind who can be smarter than, than a lot of people and get this figured out. But 
the, the content moderation demands of a social media platform are really, really formidable. And I'm glad that, uh, he who shall not be named and some others were not, you know, put back on the, the platform immediately. And some things were said that, you know, there'll be policies in place and, but so many people have been fired. It really is Elon, I think, who decides, you know, what happens or what doesn't happen. So I've got my Mastodon account. Uh, I think I actually moved it up on my westfriar.com slash after page, thinking that, you know, maybe there's more people that might look for that. But I'm not cross posting everything there. And, you know, I just I don't know what the tri- what the tipping point is. So maybe that's what I'll throw back to you. If what would there be a tipping point you could imagine at this stage when you would leave Twitter? I, I can't tell you what that is right now. Well, I, you know, it's an important question. And I think, Wes, you are far and away one of the most tech savvy teachers I know. And the fact that you're ambivalent about the alternatives is really part of the problem. And I'm just thinking about I've had a couple of friends and, and, and online colleagues that have you know, posted links to other social media sites. I've signed up for maybe a half dozen of them in the last two or three weeks. Um, MeWe comes to mind. Um, um, uh, uh, two that I can't remember the name. This tells you the problem, right? Like all these are problematic for me because the bottom line is if no one else is there, there's no reason for me to go there and share content, right? But at the same time, I do think that some teachers are going to start getting off of, of, of Twitter. And you make an important point that I think is, is worth repeating that part of this may just be that we need to teach people how to master Twitter, right? It's not just about leaving the platform, but you can really, really curate all the content that that you want to see on there. And I do somewhat of the same thing that um, I've had had to unfollow, and I think in some cases block some people that I found some uh, a value to, or there's a value to me having a relationship with them via the, the social media platform because uh, because of of content that I found either distasteful or, or kind of outside my bounds of of what I think is is tasteful or legitimate in 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 the modern era. Um, but the bottom line is is that um, you know advertising makes makes the world go round, and I do think the place is going to become a harder place to deal with. First of all, if you know, I've seen several references in the mainstream tech media that they have fired key engineers uh, from Twitter. That's problematic, right? Like you don't have a platform uh, of, of this magnitude with a worldwide reach and tens of millions of users, uh, active users, without constantly monitoring the platform 24-7 and making sure you have redundancies after redundancies. And, you know, if Twitter goes down for several hours every day, people will leave in droves. That That, that I can say for absolute certain. I also think, too, that that if they can't make money off of Twitter, you know, he spent, what, $60 billion on, on Twitter as a, as a company, and he, it's privately owned. It's his private ownership, and then I'm, some of it's hawked to, to investors. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, uh, Twitter wasn't set up to make $60 billion a year. It's a very long-term play to make money off of this deal. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are are, are criticizing that, Advertisers are leaving because users find things things distasteful, but that's 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 the truth, right? I mean that 
you know, for 30 years in the United States, people vote with their feet and uh, radio stations have been shut down because the content um, on it was not considered palatable to some members of an audience. And if that audience refuses to uh, be a patron of your business because you are advertising on, on a, a viewpoint or a, a style that you find distasteful, that's kind of introduction to capitalism 101, right? That's not a, I, you know, I don't think that's a, a free speech thing. That's a capitalism thing. That's what happens happens if people vote with their feet. And I think things get really complicated really quickly if, uh, what did uh, Mr. Musk call it, that he doesn't want it to turn into an unregulated hellscape was the term he used last week when dealing with advertisers. But, you know, he's also made claims that that comedy is no longer banned on Twitter. And, of course, there's references to the word woke, which is betraying uh, uh, to a bit of a trigger work to me because that just tells me you're not really serious about wanting to debate some of these critical issues and um, and, and have a meaningful discussion. But, yeah, it's, it's not good. And I will say that... Um, you know, I'm, I'm in a couple of discussions. I help run some social media for, for, for some, for some organizations and also advise on social media strategy. Um, I, I think we need to start knowing where to go. Um, you know, not necessarily to pull away from Twitter, but if teachers start, like if teachers in mass end up on one or two other platforms for teacher focused nonprofits and for profits, plus people like me and Wes that, you know, in our role, uh, I, I guess we could call ourselves influencers a little bit. Um, you know, that, you know, there's, if we want an audience to engage with, if teachers all end up going to this media channel or the other, I think it's also, uh, uh, might, might help change it. So maybe there's no, no nothing to, to pull from our discussion of this tonight, but it is really complicated, I think. And I think also it is going to challenge, uh, uh, all of us in the way we engage uh, with each other. Um, and, and if Twitter turns into the hellscape that, that Mr. Musk, uh, is saying he's working against, that's problematic, uh, I think for, for teachers. So it's fascinating how early adopter innovator teachers, we found each other before social media and we had the, we had web 2.0, we had blogs, we had RSS readers, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have YouTube. Um, you know, we found each other and we were listening to each other, uh, and, and, and interacting and we were doing it on spaces that, that we controlled. We didn't necessarily own cause you know, people would have free blogger sites and things like that. But, but, you know, many of us learned to, to create hosting accounts and WordPress and, and created sites. I really am interested. And there's a group that Alan Levine and, um, some other folks have uh, the, the, the DS106 group um, that are a lot of higher ed, you know, teacher ed people um, really interested in, in, in self-hosting and people having their own space, planning their own flag and having a, a blog and having a site where you can share content. I've been a, a bit dormant um, on my blog, not entirely, but I mean, you know, for a <laughs> mat for years, you know, I would post daily and I would, I would get someone to what would just like guest blogging, you know, if I was like not going to be posting and whatever, things are so different. I, I interacted with Bernie Dodge uh, this week from San Diego state university. He, he interestingly posted uh, this week that he's uh, submitted all the materials to become a citizen of Ireland. And I said, Hey, you blogged about that backstory. Said, I haven't blogged in years. You know, Facebook is my, is my, uh, my, you know, my platform. And, Social media has definitely allowed things to become 
more frictionless and easier for us to share. And, and there is a benefit to that. But I think some of the articles that we've talked about and we've read, you know, for the show, talk about the tech correction, really lament these unintended consequences that have happened when we have all tried to get on, quote unquote, the same platform, the same platforms globally. Uh, and I was trying to one of the things I'll miss about Twitter if it goes away is it's literally archiving my thoughts because I will search Twitter, you know, for my user ID and then a word or a hashtag. And then I'll find these things. They're like breadcrumbs. It's Hansel and Gretel going through the forest, leaving the breadcrumbs that they can go back and get later. Uh, Twitter has become my social bookmarks. It, it, it has become the way that I live share uh, conference content on the, on the relatively now rare occasion, but you know, hopefully increasingly, uh, frequent opportunity to be able to do live professional development, you know, rather than just write a blog post that I'm going to post later, it's exciting to share that with a hashtag because you have the chance to reach more people and you can also interact with folks and you can amplify their ideas. It's just a much richer experience. I think in this time it is worth considering where we are sort of planting our flag, having a space to share um, ideas. Uh, many who have had a blog, you know, it may be dormant and, and really not, not active. Um, I want to suggest that <laughs> the dumpster fire, which Facebook and Twitter have been politically. And in some cases, this is even worse when we talk about it's not in the English language. I'm thinking about the uh, Rohingya minority in, uh, was it in, in Myanmar, um, you know, persecuted. And there was just, it was like one person I think that Facebook had or something just obscenely ridiculous in terms of a low number of folks that spoke the language and could try and counter misinformation. Uh, you know, there've been some horrific things that have, that have happened in different places with social media. And so I think that maybe this is a bit of a reckoning. This isn't a reckoning in the same way that uh, what what is the provision? Is it 320? There's the the liability protection you know yep. clause in the Communications Act or whatever that we have. I don't I don't know that we're going to have meaningful regulation in the in the United States that's going to help shape and change this. Um, but maybe this is 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 kind of wrecking. And what I'm saying is there could be some silver lining to this because if if the world isn't on Twitter, you know then some of the complaints that people have had about the ways that it has been abused and weaponized. And then also some of the wellness issues that, that people have, et cetera. I, I don't know. People will obviously, I think maybe not obviously, but I, I think we'll go to other platforms. Um, there's TikTok, uh, but you know, it's, it's also an opportunity for innovation and for entrepreneurs and to see what else is done. But it's a, this is very symptomatic of our information landscape overall, which is highly fractured and it's highly polluted. And so that's part of what makes it really difficult, you know, and you're listing off several different, um, you know, uh, options in addition to Mastodon. I, I tweeted uh, back on October 22nd, you know, conservative social media competitor sites to Twitter and Facebook, Parler, Gitter, Truth, Truth Social, Gab, you know, it's just a dime a dozen, I guess, that we're having all of all of these different sites. But if you've got ideas to share, I think it's still valuable to do that. We may not be able to share them in real time and we may not all be on the same platform, but 
there's actually a lot of value that comes from curating your thoughts a little bit more than you can in 140 or 240 characters and sharing them that way. And so I don't know, maybe we'll have a, a renaissance of, of blogging and, you know, other kinds of sites. I don't think we're just going to go back to, to that, that blogging world, but it does make you think a lot about where it is that you share things and how you interact with people. And I think that's an enduring opportunity. And I would even say need that we have to be able to um, share things, go find stuff later, point to them, being able to give a link to somebody to, to get more information and just this whole idea of the interactive web. Um, so politically, I think it's very minimal and, you know, if I was to, to peer into my crystal ball, um, I think President Trump probably will be put back on the platform. Um, and I think that the political, everything that Elon has, has basically shown from day one, just like I said, retweeting that conspiracy theory about Pelosi's husband, like he's not taking seriously the responsibility that he has in owning and managing one of the most important information sharing platforms on the planet. And he's shown himself to, I think, be more interested in, you know, basically shock value setting, you know, getting attention, maybe getting, he's a troll himself, um, getting people upset and fired up about things. Um, and then having an outsized influence, you know, he was trying to give advice to Ukraine about how they were going to needed to negotiate with Russia the other day, which caused some pretty inflamed responses from, you, you know, Ukrainian leaders. So I just, it's almost like somebody in junior high is now running Twitter and, <laughs> We're all going to suffer as a, as a result of it. It doesn't mean it's going away tomorrow, but I don't I don't really see any hopeful signs of 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 it, you know, improving considerably. And there are certainly ways that that he could he could kill it. And there was an article I don't have this one. I was trying to go find it, but it was a it was a piece that was basically you know all the ways that Musk could kill Twitter and. I think that if he has sufficiently diminished the staff of Twitter, this is what this article was breaking down. Like if, if they don't have the capacity to bring it back up when it goes down and something, you know, something bad happens, that's going to obviously uh, be incredibly harmful. But just on the, the moderation standpoint, there, there is so, there are so many bad actors that are attempting to utilize platforms for, uh, for harm <clears throat> that, that, even that I think he had 7,000 people and he fired 3,500 of them or something like that. I think that's one of the lessons that we have from both Facebook and Twitter as of 2022 is it doesn't matter almost how many people you hire. You're not going to be able to stop all the content you're, that that's bad. You're not going to be able to, to, to quote unquote, make it a completely safe and unobjectionable platform there's going to be some terrible and horrific things that are, that are going to happen. And so it's a very reasonable prediction to say, we're going to have more terrible and horrific things happening on the platform. And until something, which I don't know what it is comes about, there's, I don't think there's any hope of it getting better. Is that yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. And that's, that's, and that's sad, but I, I just, I don't know what else to say about it either. Other than, you know, I, I'm I'm not leaving you know, soon. I'm not paying eight bucks for a fake check mark like that. That that doesn't do anything. Per se. But if you want your Twitter Plus, uh, like top articles, you'll have to, right? Is well, that yeah, because that's that's, that's the new offering, right? Because I actually I actually use that fairly frequently. Yeah, in fact, I now that you say that, I got that notification today about how Twitter Blue was going away, 
and that there was going to be an oh, so blue blue will go away, and the verification you'll have to get verified to have that. I think so, or or you know, fake verified, right? It's essentially just a mark saying that you're paying for the service. But then also, I've heard from, uh, or I, I think I've I've read that actual verification is not going away either. It'll just be a different colored uh, check mark, and uh, because and, and and part of it is that you know Twitter has a vested interest, and in fact, I agreed with their decision strongly that they. They said that their priority for um, for verification was those running for office and those in office, right? Because they want to make sure that Twitter was a legitimate platform for for official channels of 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 of, um, of, of speech in regards to you know uh, people in office or running for office. That's true around the world, right? Um, you know, the Pope, uh, his channels are are, are verified. Uh, Prime Minister of Great Britain, the, the the Chancellor of Germany, the President of the United States, the uh, Press Secretary of the President of the United States, all verified. People running for those offices, all verified, because that is there's a legitimate interest for all of us to know the difference between that and parody accounts or you know scam uh, accounts. But the bottom line is is that um, yeah, I. If, if if he does, and he, uh, I think one of these articles talked about how uh, he he mentioned that um, you know we're we plan on breaking things and moving fast. That's a throwback to um, uh, to Mark Zuckerberg and move fast and break things uh, was was his notion early days of Facebook. But that's that's I, I, nice in in an era where you're trying to build a platform from scratch when you have an established platform that is in many ways the um, you know. Uh, uh, platform Franqua, if you prefer that, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's where a lot of politics gets discussed. Um, that's problematic too. So I don't know. Weird, weird times. I don't have the podcast reference. I, have to, I, I should go back to my, uh, my pocket casts uh, history, but I've listened to some excellent, excellent critiques of just sort you know, social media in general. And here is one of the things, this may have been one of the author interviews. I think that might've been what it was. Um, uh, it's not the, it's not um, today explained. It's um, the, oh gosh, man, you know what? Getting old is just really, really hard. <laughs> Especially when you're doing a live show, which actually relates to what I'm talking about here. Um, what am I going to do? I'm going to open up my podcast and try to look at it. Ezra Klein uh, of the New York Times has an out, his Ezra Klein show. He interviewed he, on his show yesterday for elections. He he had an author, and I, ha I haven't tweeted it yet, but he's a, a fiction author. They talked about this a little bit in terms of media literacy, and I've heard some other ones. It There's a real difference, what they were talking about in that podcast, a real difference when you're being thoughtful and you're marinating on an idea and you're thinking about it uh, and you're revising it and, and then you share it, you know, versus the, the immediacy. And so there are some things about Twitter's design and then just about this, this immediacy of, sh of sharing globally um, that, that have some really negative uh, consequences for us. I mean, I just, it's, I, I personally don't think it's great for us. To, I don't know. Current events. Hey, we had the, the telegraph and suddenly, you know, current events wasn't, you know, a horse that could ride 20 miles in a day and, and, and whatever the person who rode the horse was going to come tell you, you know, you literally had things moving at the speed of light over a telegraph wire. I think of Neil Postman and, and, you know, 
Marshall McLuhan and, and people who've talked about all the, diff the different media and medium, but I, I think that some of the real negativity that we're experiencing with the news cycle, with the way in which, um, you know, we can end up really getting worked up over something that, you know, in some cases it is really a big deal, but in some cases it's not. And I guess the distractibility and the, it's sort of, it's kind of, it's the amusing ourselves to death. That's a Postman book, um, you know, dynamic that, that, that kind of happens with social media, with hashtags, with the ways that, that things are pushed. And it's like, wait a minute, why is, why is this headline news? So I think that in terms of democracy and governance um, and, you know, sustainable self-government, I think that we, we need to find ways to not be so, if not controlled, uh, directed and strongly influenced by the fringes and by extremists. And maybe if we have a reckoning of, of Twitter, you know, we, what would, do you remember, I'll throw this back to you. There was a term and it's in our, it's in our show notes from a past show that talked about how many friends you could have. There was like some kind of a, of a theory that somebody had about that. Yeah. And it was like 99 or 90 or right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that both of us are just scrambling for words. Okay, yeah. We'll go back and look at that. Um, <laughs> folks, pretty soon you're going to have, you know, 80 year old Jason and Wes. Well, I remember back in the day. Was it a anyway, that for Wes? Yeah, they, they were lamenting, you know, that we're talking about Google Plus and how they had tried to take that into consideration when they designed Google Plus that we weren't really supposed to. I think that's the article. We're not supposed to talk this much, but it's saying that in the design of these platforms and these tools, it really goes against our psychology and the way we have we've evolutionarily developed as, as human beings. And so if there was a chance to redesign you know, that that would be good. And we could, we could take these things into, into more consideration. But uh, anyway, it just, right now we're fractured and polluted uh, forecast tomorrow, fractured and polluted. I don't, <laughs> I think that may be the show title fractured and polluted. Sorry. Uh, with but I just, I, okay. So let, let's take it back to the classroom. Cause this is what we, we do. Sometimes we'll, we'll spin on a, you know, rabbit hole. Folks, we have got to be helping students navigate this world. Uh, we had a little hike today uh, with our family after uh, after school. And, um, you know, we're talking about curriculum and, and places here in North Carolina um, in the, the district where my wife is. Uh, you know, you can't read a book to your class unless a committee has vetted it that includes a parent and a bunch of people or if it's in the library. It's already in the library. It's already been vetted. But if it's not in the library, you know, you have to submit it to this committee and it's going to review everything. We, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, concern and hoopla. And we need to we need to focus on curriculum. And I'm not saying we don't need vetted curriculum for students, but let's not tease ourselves to think that the approved curriculum is the only thing that students are going to be exposed to as far as their information. And as adults, we struggle with this. And I believe we really need to find ways to help students develop web and media literacy skills, uh, being able to, to use frameworks like SIFT to, to, you know, stop, investigate the source, find trusted coverage and trace to the original. Like that's a great framework. And if you're not using that framework, you need a, you need another one. Um, but I think we, it's a call for media literacy and it's a call for, 
you know, let's just not read Shakespeare. Let's just not read the traditional canon of literature um, and, and, and try to tell ourselves that we're preparing students adequately for the present, much less the future. You know, we need to be that so many of our kids now are, are in TikTok and whatever else the social media platform du jour is going to be, you can, you can be assured it's, it's going to be something. Um, we've got to be in there ourselves to a degree as educators trying to wrap our heads around the, the dynamics of the platform and the medium. And we need to be in meaningful conversations with students where we're practicing developing the skills of literacy. So that's my, my media literacy stump that we frequently return to as well. But I think that's perhaps, uh, it's not a bow to put on it, but it's definitely a call to action because yes, the forecast is polluted and fractured, but that also should mean we're doing some things differently in the classroom because you and I didn't grow up in a world that had quite as many sources of information and quite as much apparent pollution in our daily stream of, 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 of uh, data intake or whatever. I'm not saying that well, but. Well, we got through three fourths of our show, Wes, and talked about a sum total of six links and two topics. So maybe we can evolve a little bit here to some of our more techie techie topics. You've um, got to go to Google. I think you have twenty Google links. So yeah, the, that's probably what the, true. So what are the best? What are the best ones there? Let me well, see. Or whatever. Where, where do you want to go? Uh, let me see if uh, there's a couple things that that I can do. The first one is um, this is from nine to five Google on October twenty seventh. A Luma Fusion video editor has come to Android and Chrome OS um, as development begins. And I think this is actually a, um, a reminder of an article we talked about earlier earlier this year that, that, that talked about the coming of this particular software. But um, the Luma Fusion is a very popular iOS uh, video editing suite that is... Uh, a lot of experts say is pretty close to a desktop experience on, on a Mac, for example, and it's going to be available on, on Chromebooks. And the beta of it is actually for sale for $19.99 right now. That seems like a lot of money, I know, for, to, to buy an Android app, but the retail price for this will be $30. And once you buy it in your account, you own it. So um, I, I've gone ahead and done so, and I did not have access to a Chromebook. I'm an um, all-Mac guy um, while I'm traveling abroad right now, so I, I have not had a chance to play with it yet. But just the other day, um, I was on a Chromebook and uh, uh, looked at uh, – I wanted to edit a video, um, a quick video that I was going to include in on an email. And um, I used WeVideo, and I've actually right now got a monthly subscription to to to, to WeVideo, so it's 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 no big deal to use that, but it would be really nice to have a uh, a suite available, you know, via a Chrome, uh, I'm sorry, an Android app to do that. So I want to highlight that's an availability. And if you are a, a Chromebook, a set of Chromebook users in your district and you struggled with this and don't want to pay for WeVideo, uh, the monthly fee, this might be an option for district looking to license uh, what seems like a pretty robust system to edit video. Um, let's see another article, uh, that is actually very relevant to me right now. Um, this is from digital trends of September 28th, but Google lens has a new feature that looks straight out of a sci-fi movie. And the reason why I think this is funny is because this feature has been around for some time, but it's starting to evolve a little bit, but, 
um, uh, uh, Lens now has uh, uh, further features that have auto translation in them. And we've talked about this a couple of times before that this, this functionality was actually purchased by Google. Uh, this was six years ago, five years ago, maybe seven years ago, and then ultimately in ported uh, into the system, and now they're starting to reconfigure the apps again. But I've used it a couple of times. I'm in uh, Montreal. Quebec is primarily a French-speaking part of Canada, um, and unlike other parts of Canada where they're very duo-linguo in that they have two languages, Quebec tends to be a little more focused on the French side of this. And as a matter of fact, I've used Google Lens a couple of times uh, uh, this week when I was looking at a French sign um, uh, 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 to try, try to figure out, you know, for example, why a store is closed or what the hours are or a masking requirement in, in certain areas. So uh, this is super cool technology. I think that that of all the things that have the wow factor, auto translation through a screen is just something really special that Google uh, uh, is, is certainly pouring the marketing on. And I, I just love it as a strategy as a traveler. And I think anything that helps decrease mystery, right, uh, is is a is a wonderful tool and worthy of, of our time. And then um, a couple more quick things. This is quick. How about, how about, the, how about the Google Photos one? If there were, we can make movies or better movies with Google. Yeah, Photos. this one this one's been around for for a couple months now, um, but I've had a, a chance to use it a couple of times now, and it's great. Um, Google is is uh, keeps updating the app on a uh, on Chromebooks that is the Photos app, and it's also broadly adding more functionality directly into the web-based Google Photos, which includes things like a better movie. Um, or I'm sorry, a, a better adjustment um, uh, uh, for editing, and then also a movie maker, so that it's going to be um, a, not necessarily as robust as like an iMovie or um, even the the light versions of Premiere or even Windows Movie Maker back in the day, but will be a web-based platform for doing this. And all this functionality extends into a Chromebook. And I love all that they're adding into these features to make the Google platform more of a creator platform. And that article says that Google is working to bring LumaFusion to Chrome OS. So yeah. LumaFusion as a video editing platform. Um, I just saw last night in my Google Home app a lot of additional features. I um, registered for the uh, public beta or the preview, I guess it's called, uh, of the next gener generation and version. And um, those kind of things are exciting. I mean, I'm in the Home app every single day with home automation stuff that we've got going on. Uh, Google photos is, is now my favorite place for, for sharing pictures. I still put things up on Flickr. I don't want it to go away. I've got, you know, over 50 or 60,000 yeah. pictures archived there, but um, you know, Google photos and, and the, the way the AI works and the way I can share those albums on my Chromecast and use it as a picture frame. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see Google continuing to innovate uh, frankly, this makes me excited for, uh, the Google conference, you know, when they have that each year, yes. because there's, there's a, there's a, it's like Apple in the sense that there's a wide variety of products that can, you know, if we're into those ecosystems, it can, it can touch our lives both professionally and personally, but that's fantastic. I'm glad to see the continued innovation, uh, in the space with photos and, and videos. Cause honestly, I think that's one of the biggest missing pieces on the Chromebook. Uh, the last couple, you know, three years I was at a, a a Chromebook one-to-one -one school. And so that we did have in, in the grade that I was in sixth grade, um, a license 
you know, for Wii Video, but um, that that needs to be core. Video is core to literacy and communication in the 21st century. So just like a Google Docs, Google Slides, uh, Google Drawing, you know, I think we need a video option. So we're not seeing that it's going to come into the Google suite yet, but coming into Google Photos, and uh, I think that's a great that is a great advancement, which will have an educational impact, possibly, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And then I want to point out one other article, um, and 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 uh, because I think this is an important public service announcement. This is from Slash Gear, uh, and uh, they they have uh, Slash Gear uh, authors at Slash Gear have actually uh, received some access earlier in October to some internal uh, conversations going on at Google that mock the incognito. Mode and the headline is Chrome's incognito mode is the butt of jokes at, uh, of, uh, amongst Google employees. It seems, and it's a good reminder that many people don't understand what incognito window is. And so, um, uh, uh, you, you may have been taught that you can open an incognito window, assuming your district does not turn that off. They're managing your Google browsers. A lot of districts turn off uh, incognito window. Although, to be honest, I don't really know why, because uh, in the end, depending on how your filtering and logging software is set up, it doesn't get you out of those requirements. But uh, incognito window opens up a browser window that has no history, no background in it. And then uh, so, so and you're not logged in. You're not logged into anything. Um, and then with uh, 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 once you're done with the window, you can close it and then it, it goes away that uh, all the cookies you save there, all the logins you save there go away. I use incognito window. Well, if I'm if I'm helping out the help desk, I may use it 25 times in a day if I want to be able to uh, mimic what things look like for a student or, or, or log in in a student account to be able to see what's going on. But a lot of people think that incognito windows hide what you're doing on the Internet. And there in there, some ways it does. Right. It doesn't go into your search history, for example. And theoretically you aren't tracked uh, um, uh, while you're in an incognito window, except that you are, right? Like if your district is storing your web traffic based on your account or where you're logged in, that is going to go in somewhere. If you are being spied upon by someone um, uh, 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 out in the universe, again, probably highly unlikely, especially if you're working in schools, but not out of the realm of possibility, it can't prevent that. Your ISP can see where you go. Websites you log into can see where you go because it will, once you log in, it will be associated with you. And there's plenty of security experts that think that even if in the end, you're in an incognito window. Google may have a pretty good idea who you are if you're out on Google properties, even if you're in an incognito window because of the fingerprinting that happens with your activity on the web. So this is just a friendly reminder from, from your buddies, Wes and Jason, that don't do anything where you need to be hidden in an incognito window. And in fact, never surf for anything in your school district or on your school computer that in any way can be seen as unsavory, whether it's, um, you know, running your small business or it's going to uh, websites that might be seen unfavorably by others, that it just don't do that school, right? That, um, and in fact, I know a lot of people that won't even sign on to their district's wireless network with their, with their phone or their tablet, their personal phone, their personal tablet, because they just don't want the opportunity to be tracked. Um, and it does, right? Like that's, that's one of the things you need to be acutely aware of if you're a, a teacher, administrator, anyone that works in a school. 
I, I taught about this this week. Uh, I'm going to write a blog post hopefully soon uh, about digital portfolios and how my kids have been creating um, digital portfolios in Google Sites. We've got student-led conferences the next two days, and uh, my, my, all my kids have uh, a little comment and a QR code that they and their parents can you know scan with a smartphone and go right to their portfolio. Um, we just did a uh, evaluation process where students used a Google form to evaluate their own portfolio and then their uh, one of their classmates. And part of that process was opening an incognito window and viewing the, the, the site when you're not logged in. Um, because at, at this point, and this, this could change, and there are discussions that are going on about this, um, you know, parents don't have a login to our school domain. So if parents are going to see this, it has to be a public page. That doesn't mean we're, you know, putting that into Google for SEO indexing and all that kind of thing. But uh, it was an eye-opener for kids because some of them had put in a Google drawing document instead of downloading it as an image and putting it in and, and then it's shared for, for viewability. You know, it was a private restricted Google drawing document. When they looked at it, it looked fine. Oh my gosh, look at that. It's broken. Uh, geo maps the same way. You make a geo map. If you don't share it so anyone with a link can view it, it's looking nice in your Google Sites edited version, but it's not looking that way for other people. So when I talk to students about this, I talk to them about, is it true that, you know, the technology department can still see where you're going? How about at home? Is it true that there are some people that have had uh, security officials show up at their door because of web searches they've done for, you know, terrorist groups or explosives or something like that? Yeah, it is true. And, you know, probably have a few raised eyebrows. And I told him, I'm not telling you this because I want you to run around all day scared and fearful, but we're being surveilled all the time, constantly by different groups and organizations. And I think it is important to know about that, uh, that probably, you know, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're going to all behave the same, whether we have the, the ring of invisibility or not. But, you know, we, we know that. Uh, accountability and perceptions affect people's behavior. So, uh, you know, I just, we used to have lots of signs every time there was a camera that says, you know, surveillance camera, you know, in effect, I think we, we had the first one probably at our campus outside the IT office in my old school. And, and that sign was still on the door for quite a while. And that caused me to laugh because over time, you know, it, this is at my previous school, you know, we, we had well over a hundred surveillance cameras all over campus and we were not putting up little signs everywhere that says surveillance camera in use. You know, it just, it became, it's a fact of life. So Good reminder, I think that um, I learned from the Security Now podcast about the ways that packets, a little bit more of insight into how packets work, and every single device that connects to the internet has a MAC address. That's not Macintosh, that's a machine ID, and so whether it's your cell phone or your iPad or your laptop or whatever it is, that is something that is on the header of every single packet that is sent out and then, you know, put sent out in pieces and then put back together in order at the other end. And that's how TCP IP works. So, yeah, there's a little geekiness there. But but uh, the bottom line is uh, there are folks that that draw lines between the, the dots of our of our Web activity, you know, using. Sometimes things like a social security number or a phone number or a, an email account, but sometimes I think they're using MAC addresses and that's part of this opaque cloud of information, which I guess if we wanted to buy it, we could because it's being sold by data brokers to the, you know, not even the highest bidder, just to bidders that want to pay for it. But 
It is a piece of media literacy that is important to know. And if that's not part of your curriculum in some way, I mean, it's a good thing to talk about because not everybody realizes the degree to which we're being surveilled and the importance of, um, of, of being aware of that and what those implications can be. At some point, Wes, it might be interesting for the two of us maybe to see if we can buy our data somewhere. Just to see what happens, right? That's a fantastic idea. What a great media literacy uh, case study that would be. Uh, You could even take that as a class, like in a class, we could, I don't know, there would be some privacy concerns about that, definitely, because, but, but on the other, on the other hand, it's like becoming aware of what's on the dark web, right? It's out there and some folks are getting it. So, uh, wow. Um, this reminds me of an article. Um, I have this uh, thread that's um, pinned on my my Twitter right now, but um, I had a chance to hear a, a young college student named uh, Emma Limke present with tip teachers. Um, and uh, tip teachers are based out of the Pacific Northwest. Um, the organ it's tip teachers on Twitter. They're the teachers for an informed public, and it's a great great media literacy organization that that I got connected to at some point. Um, but she had shared this article, uh, which I actually hadn't put in. I'm going to, I'll drop this in, um, both the chat and I'll put it in, in our show notes. This is a wired article from the date here, uh, August 3rd. Kids are back in classrooms and laptops are still spying on them. So in the context of surveillance, there's a link in the chat. Um, in the context of surveillance of ed tech, uh, in this case, I think some, you know, exceptions to the law, perhaps that were made by organizations and groups because, you know, of the pandemic, uh, and things that we needed to do. Um, I think this is a pretty, pretty powerful article. And I've mentioned before on the show, really through the eyes of our, you know, now 22 year old daughter, who's a senior in college. Um, it is a bit alarming to see how surveillance technologies are being used to monitor students in different kinds, especially of, uh, of, of distance learning, you know, situations. She's been, you know, doing this semester completely online. So, um, again, are we aware of this? Do we care? Uh, should we care? Uh, and if we do, what kind of advocacy do we want to do around this? And those were all topics that were being discussed in that webinar with tip teachers. Yeah, and that, oh, that, article calls out, uh, sorry, that article calls out a lot of uh, vendors that I'm sure um, that you will all uh, that are, if you've been working at tech in a while uh, would all recognize. So that that's a that's a, an important, pretty important read. Absolutely. Well, we have gone just a little over an hour tonight. Uh, is there an article you would like to get before the geeks of the week? And I'm actually trying to take over the facilitator role. So let me, let me grab my blanket here and yes. step back. Uh, yeah. Allow me. Yeah, just one article I want to point out just because I thought it was pretty cool. There's a great article from the independent on October 28th that talks about how um, there is a new solar panel technology that's actually a clear paint that looks like a clear pane of glass. And there's a lot, the article goes into a lot of implications of that and also uh, what other options might be. But imagine for a moment, um, you know, uh, windows in your house being replaced with solar panels. Uh, you don't see them because they're see-through and that they're generating electricity. And they've talked about tons of, of, of options that might be really interesting ways to collect solar energy, including on automobiles, even computer screens or monitors. 
um, that uh, could be powered in part by the light in the the ambient light uh, around. And um, you know, I, 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 it's in my opinion, we're not going fast enough here in the technology development to to stay off you know, some kind of disaster in the relatively near future, but it's these kind of, of, of technological developments. I just love seeing, and I hope more innovation comes to the space uh, uh, pronto. I've got to write the post soon, but I heard um, an employee of OpenAI speak at our school last week that really blew my mind. And among other things, he was talking about just how much electricity and power these vast supercomputers are taking. Uh, and, how we're, we're, we're on a trajectory, not just because of that, but because of, of other factors of just really needing a lot of electricity on the planet. And um, anyway, there were some other things about artificial general intelligence and other things that he shared, which anyway, maybe I'll have a geek of the week uh, soon where I'll, 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 I'll uh, share a little bit more about that, but it was kind of crazy. All right. I think sadly we should probably geek of the week. It didn't get out of here. Yeah. Um, what is yours, sir? All right, I'm going to do two fast ones and a amazing podcast that I totally recommend. Uh, check-in generator, not heard of this before. Um, you can use, well, this is something like during the pandemic, but, you know, what's the most beautiful place near where you live? Uh, name something you learned last week. Uh, you can turn on different filters if you want them to be practical, creative, or reflective. But, you know, for a team meeting or... Um, a class that you're going to have or a workshop. Uh, I thought that was really, really cool. Um, Tony Vincent has created some different randomizing things like that for some workshops and stuff that I've, I've seen him do, but that's pretty cool. Uh, this one was from yesterday. Shout out to Dr. Troy Hicks, who, who shared this on Twitter. Imagine that. Uh, hadn't heard of this before. This is called Hack a Story Tools. And it reminds me of, of my website, Show With Media, which is, Trying to say, hey, you want to create an info pick or you want to create a digital story? You know, here's here are tools that you can use. Um, but uh, this one sometimes has reviews, videos, um, multimedia, infographics, mapping, videos, photos, audio, mojo, data, verification, social media, VR, plugins, animation, just all these different things. And you'll find different tools. I thought that was a fantastic uh, media tool. And my final one is an Angry Planet podcast. And it's actually a little hopeful um, but it's just fascinating, uh, Jason, from the Pacific Northwest standpoint of Idaho, Montana. <clears throat> it's an episode called The Second American Civil War is Not Coming. Angry Planet has been one of my favorite podcasts for quite a while in my Conspiracies and Culture Wars Media Literacy Project. This was from October 22nd, and it was an interview with Daniel Walters, uh, who's an investigative journalist at The Inlander, and he covers right-wing extremism politics uh, a little pop culture. And there's a lot of references to essentially how there are folks in Idaho, parts of Montana, getting really upset about what people in California are doing, what's happening at Berkeley. And it talks about some of these social media dynamics that we've discussed where, um, you know, we're getting really worked up over things that in a prior generation, we just wouldn't have cared about because it wasn't local and it wasn't on our news. But now sort of outlier fringe events are in some cases galvanizing um, you know, constituencies to, to be really upset and to do things. Uh, and I really found it fascinating. But the good news is that as a journalist who's investigating these right wing, right wing fringe groups, um, he doesn't think that we're about to have a civil war. So I thought that was, that was positive because we've got a lot of dystopian discussion around, you know, exactly where social media and political polarization are going to take us. So my overshare is now over. <laughs> what about nice. you, sir? 
Well, I've got a pretty simple one, but it's it's a it's a pretty great platform. Um, this is a an app that's available on both iOS and Android. It's called eBooks, E B O O X, and it is basically a universal eBook reader. And um, most of my reading, um, eBook wise, I do on the Kindle platform because that's where I'm most invested in, in the Amazon world. But I do come across often uh, ePubs and PDFs and free versions of books, and there's and there's it really thousands of of uh, sources for legit non-pirated uh, ebooks. There's also plenty of pirated ebooks in the world too that you you would come across. But the problem is, is you can get those on your Kindle, but it requires a little bit of hacking that um, some people may find either unsavory or. Uh, just extra steps. And so if you've got access to various types of, of ebooks, uh, whether purchased on a store or downloaded from one of the many sources available for legitimate free ebooks, uh, this one, uh, 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 reads them all. It's, it's a Russian based app. Uh, I find no fear in that because I've done a little bit of research, uh, in that and you can actually sync up um, to uh, via Google Drive, you would have to get access to your Google Drive to do that. Um, I don't need to do that, so I don't. Um, but it's a really great ebook reader, and again, it's both on Android and iOS. It's ebooks. Awesome. Well, Wes, uh, looks like we've hit an hour ten, so I think it's time for us to to move along. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, I am still on Twitter at wfryer, but I'm on Mastodon. <laughs> And other places too. You can go to westfriar.com slash after and get an exhaustive list of links. How about you? I am also on Twitter at techsavvyteach, at least for the time being. And that's probably the best place to find me. You can also find out more information about me on LinkedIn and other type professional sites. But this here isn't about us. It's about all of us. It's the Index Situation Room. We are a once a week podcast that broadcasts on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern time, where I happen to be located tonight, and 7 p.m. Mountain time when I am not located uh, on the East Coast. Um, if you would like to watch us live, please follow us on Twitter at TechSR, uh, where we always broadcast a link out. Plus, we broadcast live on both YouTube and Facebook. If you can't join us live, although we wish you would sometime, feel free to to find us wherever finer podcasts are aggregated, or you can download uh, our, our archive copies, MP3 copies at our website, edtechsr.com. You can find our links at edtechsr.com slash links, or the archives are on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, stay safe, stay savvy. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you next time on the Edtech Situation Room. Good night. Good night, everybody.